All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Talking Sports with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Make sure to smash that five-star review button because if you don't, you're a buster with no rhyme or reason. So let's get into it. There's three things that are inevitable. Death, taxes, and watching Adrian Peterson on Sunday. I swear to God, that guy's going to play until he's 100 years old. <laughs> Welcome back to Talking Sports with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Today is Saturday, November 6th. You guys had a good week. We're going to touch on Aaron Rodgers and this COVID situation. We'll probably get to the Odell Beckham situation a little bit later on, too. We'll touch on Henry Ruggs and that circumstance a little bit later on as well. But where I really wanted to kick this show off is a Simone Biles and Calvin Ridley double standard when it comes to mental health in this country. We used to think of athletes as frail if they talked about mental health at all. It was just, you're, you're weak. You're supposed to be able to overcome any type of adversity. Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan kind of helped change the narrative on that and people becoming a little bit more open about it. And actually, before I get to Simone Biles and Calvin Ridley, I do want to say something about Ben Simmons real quick because I'm actually super irritated with this guy. See, we're less than a minute in. I'm already going on another tangent. That's what I love about my ADHD. So I've been defending Ben Simmons and I've been largely one of the only people that I can think of that actually has been over this entire saga. About a week or so ago, he had told the 76ers, hey, I'm not ready to play. You know, Mentally, I'm not ready for it. And the Sixers actually, like, they backed him. They drafted somebody, Markel Fultz, who had, he had the yips. And they ended up trading him anyways. But regardless, like they gave him time. They kind of understood that there was something mentally going on because he's like, hey, I need to fix something. So when Ben Simmons said that, I was like, okay, there might actually be something there. Because what I had told you guys previously is I feel like the Atlanta co- or the Atlanta coaching staff, excuse me, uh, Philadelphia had basically said, don't shoot at all. Like it's, it's too glaring of a problem. If you're open, don't worry about it. Unless it's a breakaway, we don't want you shooting at all. So I feel like everything was kind of coaching him. And that's why I had his back for the longest time. But when he said I got mental health issues, I want to take a step back. I was like, okay, I can get behind that because maybe you do. Maybe it's, when it comes to professional sports, online social media can be absolutely atrocious or just media in general. Because like what I've said before is nobody cares about what any of us are doing right now. But athletes are in the spotlight all the time. I know that comes with the territory. And don't give me the bullshit about the money. Because the money to me doesn't matter. Common denominator is that we're all people, so we should treat them humanely. But once there's money involved, everything gets thrown out the window. Getting to with Ben Simmons is if he had the mental health stuff that he wanted to take care of, I would not have had a problem with that. Because we do see all the time, social media loves to hate on anybody for any reason. I remember a few years ago, I guess, man, this was probably 10 years ago or so when Matt Schaub was playing for the Texans and he had a bad streak of probably five, six, seven games in a row where he threw a pick six. And we see with fantasy football, people, people in their online, they'll say, go kill yourself. We've, we've seen that witness. We've seen people literally say online, go kill yourself, or I'm going to come kill you. You cost me money because you have no idea what these fanatics, what the degenerates are going to do. And the reason I have... I have sympathy for these guys because, especially when it comes to Matt Shaw, because I remember there being a story of, I think it was the very last game that he had, right before he got benched, and a dude was waiting outside of his house because of it. That's why I like I don't trust anybody. So if anybody says that they're that they're threatening somebody online, I could see where you would take it seriously or at least have some kind of trepidation about it, because you have no idea what anybody's capable of. I always go back to, it's a terrible movie. But one line that's always stuck with me is the line that Agent K, Tommy Lee Jones, says to Will Smith in Men in Black. Not sure if you guys remember that scene, but it's it's when they're sitting on the park bench 
And Will Smith is like, why don't you just tell people there's so many aliens? People can handle it. They're smart. Tom Lee Jones goes, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. That line has always stuck with me. Because like, even though that was a threat when it came to Matt Schaub, like we've seen like in the World Cup, this happened, I think, in 1998. There was an own goal, I think, on a Colombian player. They went back, they're at a bar, and a guy who spent way, he bet way too much money, ended up losing and shot the guy who had the own goal. I, sh I probably should do my research on this so I can actually give you a name and the actual country. But the actual incident stood out in my mind. And a guy got just shot dead in a bar because of an accident on an own goal in the World Cup. This is why when people say that there's mental health issues, I can understand that because you constantly have somebody watching you all the time. There would be some level of paranoia almost I would feel like. I'm already anxious and anxiety. my anxieties are through the roof anyways. I couldn't imagine if I had that level of fame and that much everybody just wanting a piece of you. I couldn't imagine that. So when Ben Simmons initially said that, I was like, all right, that's cool. But the problem is like the 76ers were willing to let him take that leave to go do this. I'm like, okay, well, come see our doctors. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Now, usually when it comes to like physical therapy and things of that nature, They'll let you get like a second opinion from your own doctor as opposed to team physicians and stuff. But I was, I was defending Ben Simmons for the longest time. And I think I just got to move on from it. I feel like now it's just more of a, I don't like calling professional athletes babies. They're coddled all the way up through because everyone has always told them that they're the best. And at that time you are until you get to the actual pinnacle of your profession. Then sometimes you aren't. So I can understand there'd be like a power struggle dynamic, especially with him and Embiid, but this just feels like he's just milking it and he's just pouting now. And it feels bad because I was on this guy's side for the longest time. And because I'm somebody who has those, I guess, tendencies, you could say, or character issues, not character issues, that's a bad choice of words, but somebody who goes through that on a daily basis themselves, I don't wish that on pot anybody, but it just feels like he lied about it just to take an easy cop out and with that I think I'm done this whole Ben Simmons thing but to get back to my original point between Calvin Ridley and Simone Biles that took a long turn but as a Buffalo Bills fan the only thing I can do is circle the wagon so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna come back to it so before the reboot I had done an episode about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and being on their side for them wanting to take a sabbatical and take a step back from their respective sports as far as tennis and gymnastics are concerned because being a professional athlete is already hard well I guess you know when it comes to the Olympics, it's supposed to be amateurism, except when we send NBA players over for basketball. Uh, but it's already tough enough to be a professional athlete. Once you have the pressures of being a woman in that space or being, once you start putting nationalities into it, there's already so much hatred in this country anyways. You start layering it and things get even worse. And that's one of the reasons, And like I talked about, you know, before we made this transition over about social media and there being so much just constant chirp, chirp, chirp in your ear from all angles and news coverage that it could be overwhelming. And something that I said on the previous show was a lot of this had to do with timing when it came to Simone Biles. Um, I feel like with Naomi Osaka, it was more people were just kind of surprised. From what I understand, she hadn't really talked about it a whole lot, but it just like things kind of build up and they become too much. And then she wanted to take a step back. But with Simone, when it came to the timing of this, when it was with the Olympics, it was something where all the fake patriotism or fake patriotism, as I like to call it, I'm not sure if it's trademarked or not, but if it's not, it's mine, where there was a certain demographic, and I think that you know who I'm talking about. And if it doesn't pertain to you, then don't take offense to it. That's what I always tell people. If, if what I'm talking about doesn't pertain to you, there's no reason for you to be upset. But if it does, 
and it strikes a nerve, spoiler alert, you might be one of them people. It was an easy cop out for them. It was an easy look at this person who's disrespecting our country. Yeah, that's not what she was doing. Cool story though. Way to try to pin on a young black woman. But that's something that we see when it comes to elections and when it comes to the Olympics, the fake triots want to come out and just, just try to be so loud about how much they love their country when in reality, no, you don't. I compare them a lot to a couple of weeks ago, I brought up Urban Meyer and the people who were so over the top saying, how could you do that to your wife? It's like, yeah, you're the one who's at the strip club probably. You don't respect your wife either. Like don't, the, peop the, the people who are that loud and over the top of how holy they are, usually the people who have the worst things that they're hiding it just hasn't come to the light yet but what this really boils down to with the simone biles and calvin ridley thing is that simone biles was criticized heavily for wanting to take a step back and again it's because of timing if this happened at a qualifier i guarantee you the pushback for her would not be the same because we don't care about gymnastics until the olympics come but what do we all care about professional football and calvin really is a professional football player the other thing too the Falcons aren't very good. So this might be something where like internally, I think you can kind of make the joke. Well, of course he wants to take a, take a step back. The Falcons are garbage. <laughs> I wouldn't want to play with them either, but it, I find it funny. Don't you always love that? I just find it funny that Calvin Ridley gets a pass on this because he plays professional football, which is a sport that we all care about. And Oh, I hope you get well soon. Calvin. Nah, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. If, you, if you're going to crucify Simone, you better crucify him. And if you uplifted Simone, you better uplift this guy. But again, it comes down to if it's true or not. I've never had anything like, that's the thing. Calvin Ridley, I don't know the guy personally, obviously. And he's somebody who actually has been pretty low-key in the NFL as far as just talking is concerned. I don't, I can't remember any Calvin Ridley soundbite ever. Like, I just don't remember him ever saying anything of any importance. So there might be some truth to this. But what I don't appreciate is the fact that you have two people who do, they're very different sports, but they do at the highest level possible. And they're both putting themselves in danger every time that they do something. But one gets praised because it's a sport that you care about. And one gets criticized because of timing and something that you don't care about. And it's super easy to just diminish and undermine somebody else's achievements because of whatever you want as your justification, if you will, to do so. So one of the things that I preach on this show is just because a play was successful does not mean it was a good decision. That's one of the reasons why I'm so hypercritical of Josh Allen. Now, when he's up and he's loose, everything's good, right? It doesn't matter if you force that ball to Stefan Diggs. He caught it, right? Yeah, but you had another guy who was wide open that you that you missed. That decision is going to come back and bite you in the ass when it's really crunch time, when you really need to make a good decision. Are you going to? And under pressure, he doesn't make the right throw all the times. So just because the outcome was okay doesn't mean the decision was okay. So with that, we make the awkward transition to Henry Ruggs and also me and some transparency into my life from where I was to what I've become now. At the time, I'm I'm anywhere between 21 and 24, and um, like that three-year period was not, it wasn't good for me. I was somebody who was very sheltered growing up. Like I didn't get my license until I was, it was my senior year, and I was almost completely out of high school before I got my license because my parents had very high standards as far as driving is a privilege, not a right. We're not just going to give it to you, you got to earn it. So they had 
academic, uh, they had academic goals they want us to reach before we can get our license. And I just didn't take school that seriously. So that's on me. Bad choice. Should have wanted more if I wanted to have a social life and be able to go do other things. But I was also raised in like a very, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Very, my dad was in the military and my parents are, my parents are very religious. I am not. Everything that they did, not everything, that's hyperbolic, but they would say things like, oh, well, you shouldn't drink ever. Drinking's bad. I turned 21. I didn't even go out on my 21st birthday. And my birthday's in May. I had my first drop of alcohol until November of 2005. And I'll never forget, I'm out with my buddies. I was selling cars at the time. And I was like, well, what, what, do, you, what do you drink? And he goes, oh, I'm having an MGD. I was like, all right, I don't know what that is, but I'll take one. Miller Genuine Draft, not a good beer. That was my first drop of like beer. And I was like, this stuff tastes like, sh- why would anybody drink this? Then a little bit later on, he's like, okay, well, if you don't like that, you know, we try something different. I said, okay, what do you got in mind? He's like, how about a nice tea? And I was like, that, that's, there's no alcohol. And I goes, oh no, a Long Island. So I went from MGDs to Long Islands with my first encounter with alcohol. It's like going from low class A baseball to the majors in the same day. Like you're just not ready for it. Tasted way better, but you're just not ready for it. After being told all this time that if you drink, you're bad, you're going to hell, and there's all these bad things that'll happen if you do have a beer, I'm like, well, I don't feel, I don't feel terrible about that. Have a Long Island? No, I'm feeling good. Then I start to feel happy, and I'm like, why would my parents hide me from this joy? This doesn't make any sense. You guys are terrible people. They're not. They're great. But that's kind of the mentality. Is like, why would you instill, like, it's so, this is the thing that irritates me about society, is that they've got to be either so black or white, no shades of gray. It's like, if they would have been more of be in moderation, I may have turned out a little bit different, especially in that that rough part from 21 to 24. Now, I, t- I still have to take responsibility for what I did, but had my come up been a little bit different, my first in- my first interaction may have been a little bit different as well. I do that and I drive home and I got home and everything was good, right? Bad play call decision, but it turned out okay. Then I started going out more and drinking more and then me and my car salesman buddies, we were getting out of control, like almost not every single night, but at least three or four nights a week, like we'd go out and drink. And to the point where we wouldn't always be completely faced, but well, but we'd be over the legal limit, but never got caught, never got caught. Well, a buddy of mine had caught up with him one day. Um, he had a Jaguar. I'm not going to say any names in case they actually, if, unless they listen to the show or know somebody who does, but a buddy of mine had a Jaguar and similar to what Ruggs, is, what Ruggs had done. Um, similar thing, like obviously it wasn't in Las Vegas, it was in Alaska, but down a similar like strip, doing a buck 20 in his Jag, he didn't hit anybody, thank God, but he did hit a telephone pole and he ended up about 50, 60 feet away from his car, projectile out and managed to live. So uh, yeah, that was, that was a wild time. And, uh, but it, did it deter me from drinking? Nope, sure didn't. But I was way more cautious about it after that. But here's what did happen. 2009, I got a DUI. And this is why I say eventually those bad plays are going to catch up with you. So I was yeah, 24 at the time and I was commuting. I, I had a different job at this point in time, but I was commuting into Anchorage from the Valley 
and I was seeing this girl and our relationship was very much off and on. And there was one day that these buddies of mine that I used to sell cars with asked me, just like, hey, why don't you just crash at our place tonight? All right. I got off work around 4.35, went to the bar. I'm about two beers in, it's about six o'clock. So nothing too out of control, right? Well, my girlfriend at the time says, I want to make this work. Please come home so we can talk. And it's weird because she broke up with me all the time. I had such low self-esteem. I just was, I, I always took her back and I always tried to make it work because for lack of a better term, I was a simp in my early twenties. Like I said, it was not a good time frame of my life, but I'm two beers in no harm, no foul. Yeah. All right. If, if it's you trying to make the effort this time, then I'll come, I'll come home and I'll see and I'll try to make it work. I'm driving home. I'm on fifth Avenue. I know that a lot of people listening probably don't know where that is, but I'm in the left-hand lane. Speed limits 20. I'm going 20. A guy in a silver Pathfinder, and I'll never, I'll never forget this car. Makes an illegal lane change, hits me, disables my car. DUI. I blew a .086. I felt like everything was done. And out of everything, this is why I say the bad decisions creep up with you. You can only do it so long before you're gonna get, you're gonna, something bad is gonna happen at some point in time. And it happened to me on. The one instance where I, I felt like nothing nothing bad could even happen to me. Now, nobody was injured. And like I said, the other person was at fault for the traffic violation, but that's not the point. The point is too many bad plays in a row ended in disaster. But now I'm 37 and every time I go out, if I do drink, I always have a plan. If I don't have a plan, I am not going. I prefer to drink at home. I don't like being put in a situation where I can't be in control. I know there's Uber and things like that, but you know, between Ubers and taxis in Alaska, they're not very reliable or it takes forever because there's not that many of them available. So if I don't have a ride already planned, I'm not going anywhere. You can come to me, but I'm not moving. I'm not going to be put in that position because I know that I don't have to be drunk to be able to blow over. Like at that point in time, when I was younger, I did. And I was like, I feel fine. Don't worry about it. And I was young, dumb, and stupid, man. So there's kind of the, you know, my buddy was in almost the same situation as Henry Ruggs. So Henry Ruggs, from the story that I was, I've read a couple different articles and apparently he had like 18 shots, which is a lot. And uh, some mixed drinks as well. And he was doing a buck 56, right? The one thing that, and I, I, I compared this to people earlier, that the people who are, so on their moral high horse are the ones who probably have been in the same situation. You just haven't been caught yet. So I am not condoning what he did. Cause that that's, that's reckless, but I'm somebody who did something like that. Not to the extent that he did not going to 156 miles an hour, but I was still driving and doing things that I shouldn't have been doing at a really young age. So I, and the money that these guys have, you go from nothing to everything just overnight. And sometimes it can be too much to handle the wrong people. He, I'm assuming he lives in Vegas because he plays for the Raiders, but you know, I was lucky because I didn't, I didn't hurt anybody, but that's there. There are times where I very easily could have, I just lucked out and didn't. So I have, it's weird because it's not sympathy in a way because it, it it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, you know, because, you know, I've already done this and 
he's somebody who, again, the outcome caught up with him. And now apparently, you know, he had a firearm on him as well. So that two to 20 turned into, you know, up to 46 years in prison. And now the thing is, I don't know if this is who Henry Rugg or if this was who he was beforehand or if this is a one-time incident. My thing is, if you do that, this has probably been in your repertoire beforehand. But again, the circumstance matters. I was able to, since it, since my predicament did not end in someone's life or anything of that nature, I was able to rebuild mine. You know, again, I'm 37 now. I've been married for almost 10 years. I have a seven-year-old son. I have a home. I have a career. I've got this. He is not going to get that chance. The only thing I ask for people in this particular scenario is just really look at yourself and say, you know, I've done that. I could have easily done but you know, it didn't, didn't happen to me. And it's easy to, com- it's not compare, but it's really easy to get lost in the, well, how could you be so stupid? I was stupid. My outcome was just different. I was, I was allowed the opportunity to rebuild my life and get my shit back together. Just before you throw stones, look at yourself and ask, have you ever driven while you have drank anything? And if you have, come on, point the finger at you too. Any, anything can happen at any point in time. You know, from what I understand, he's got a, he's got a baby girl. He's never going to see her again. And the, the most frustrating part about the entire thing, obviously, is a young woman is dead because of a choice that he didn't have to make. And again, I've, I'm somebody who's made the same bonehead error. But because of his, there's a woman that has her own family and they'll never see her again. And you can't. Obviously, you can't get those people back. So um, use Henry Ruggs and myself as a, as a PSA for if you're going to drink, stay put, call somebody. It's not worth you or somebody else getting killed because, because you have to take your car. You don't want to leave it overnight. Your car you can get back or get another one. You can't get your kids or your parents or your friends and family back. It's not worth it. So please, if you're going to drink, don't drive.